Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. I wouldn't say we fell in love right away. I think we were, as they call it in the biz, trauma bonding. And then after eight years of being insufferably sober, I started drinking again. Addicts tend to be rather sensitive people. Aren't you Mark Maron? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, what happened to you? Hey, Light Hustlers. How are you? It's Anna David here welcoming you to my podcast, thanking you for listening. Here is where we share our dark to find our light, because I believe it's in sharing our stories that we help both ourselves and other people. Now, if you are someone who thinks they may want to be someone sharing their story to help other people, I strongly suggest going and taking the quiz. And by the, I mean the one that is at lighthustler.com slash quiz, it will help you see, should you be someone sharing your story? I believe we all should be, but I don't want to, I don't believe in peer pressure either. So that's it. Oh, no, that's not it. Uh, This is one from my storytelling show and it features someone whose voice you know, because it's mine. Yeah, this is a a story (laughs) that you should judge me for. I encourage judgment. And, um, and that's it. Uh, give it up for Anna David. I am thrilled to bring up your next comedian and speaker. Anna David is a New York Times bestselling author, journalist, occasional TV talking head, creator of this show, and CEO of the company Light Hustler, which teaches creatives like myself how to share their dark in order to find their light through essays, books, storytelling, and more. Please put your hands together for Anna David, everybody. Newbie to the show. He, he will be back. Um, okay, so so okay. My story is about um, smoke. Anybody here smoke? Kidding. You're in rehab. Okay, come on. Who smokes cigarettes? Actually, it's kind of pathetic, you guys. I thought it would be some more. Um, okay, so so when I tell people that I used to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, they look at me like askance, which it makes sense. Do you know that's forty? fucking cigarettes a day. Do you know how hard it is to do anything 40 times a day? Like if you're if you're going to do that, you have to it has to be the first thing you do when you wake up, like before you get out of bed. It has to be the last thing you do before you go to sleep, which by the way, if you're taking 10 Ambien a night, which I was a lot of that time is a little dangerous, and you have to like dodge so many situations that don't allow smoking. You're basically like like you're planning a combat mission, which like you kind of are. Um, it's a full-time job. And luckily, the, at the time of my life that I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, I was remarkably unemployed. So I could do this as my full-time job. So so basically, I remember, you know, a lot of kids or kids who grew up to be adults like this smoked as teenagers, took their parents' cigarettes, right? 
Anybody? And okay, okay, I'm the only person in this entire room that took a mom's Merit Ultra Light. Okay, so but I remember, I remember driving my mom's car, like smoking one of her Merit Ultra Lights, and looking in the rearview mirror, exhaling, and going, "One day when I grow up, I'm gonna be a smoker, like a real smoker, not like stealing mom's Merit Ultra." So like other kids are like, "When I grow up, I'm gonna be president. I'm gonna be," and I'm like, "I'm gonna be a smoker." And the thing is, I didn't actually have to wait very long for that dream to come true. I transitioned from like casual smoker to full-fledged smoker uh, my freshman year in college when my dance troupe went to New York to like perform with a professional company. So yeah, essentially like this, I became a professional athlete and a professional smoker the same week. Irony wasn't lost to me. And I remember like just, you know, that thing you're like, well, you're like, I'm so fucking cool. I'm inhaling carcinogens and killing myself. Aren't I cool? Um, but I remember, I remember that. And then um, I just, the next decade and a half, it's like, I just smoked and smoked and smoked. And it's like, I, you know, smoking saw me through boyfriends, through um, classes, through jobs, through like workouts. Okay. Cause that's the crazy thing is I've also been this like workout fanatic. So like, these two personalities, this like chain smoker and workout fanatic, I, I would like try to like use the fact that those didn't make sense to like smoke less. So I would add this weird rule with myself that I wouldn't smoke if I had workout clothes on. <laughs> that was my rule. And so, and I, so I'd put my workout clothes on early in the day. I'd be like, yeah, you're not going to smoke. Anyway, I would literally change my clothes. I would not break that rule. So I'd change my clothes and then like chain smoke all day. And so, and like I lived in England my junior year in college and I used a bicycle to get around smoked on the bike. Yeah, why not? I was like, well, this is my mode of transportation. If I were driving a car, I would be smoking. So like, so, okay, so that was it. I just smoked and smoked and smoked and I loved it, but I wanted to, like all people who smoke, like I was like, I have to stop this. This is disgusting. And luckily God intervened the summer between my junior and senior years in college. He intervened by giving me like tonsillitis that would not go away. As it turns out, if you are taking penicillin to treat your tonsillitis, but you're smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and also drinking, penicillin doesn't, what penicillin does, any, any doctors in the house? We don't need one. I will tell you what happens. You take penicillin, it masks the symptoms, but you still have the tonsillitis. So then like, I would literally take my last like 21 day thing and I was like, ooh, my throat hurts again. So I got tonsillitis four times in a row, just like constantly. And, and, um, and so, long story short, ear, nose, and throat doctors go on vacation a lot. And so, this is important to the story. So, I end up like the last ear, nose, and throat doctor in Marin, and he literally looks my age. I'm 19. And I'm just like, I don't think this guy has ever done a tonsillectomy before. And as it turns out, I was right. But we're going to get to that. So, so he says to me, your tonsils have got to come out, you know, and I'm like, okay, yes, because I only watched one television show growing up and it was, um, starred, you know, it was about the Brady's. Anybody old enough to know about that? Anyway, Cindy and her mom got her, their tonsils out at the same time and they ate ice cream. So I was like, a tonsillectomy sounds fun. Like, I literally thought it sounded fun. And I do not mention to my doctor that I smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. It doesn't seem relevant. He may have asked. I don't remember. I, I may have lied. I just, I didn't, I didn't mention to him. And, and so, so we do the tonsillectomy. He takes my tonsils out. Now, anybody here ever quit smoking? What happens when you quit? You're insane and miserable and you cry and you hate everybody. But what else happens? 
You do not stop coughing. So I, so I, you can't, so I couldn't eat after my operation, let alone smoke. So I'm just like hacking, hack, disgusting. Don't worry, the story gets so much more disgusting, but I'm like hacking, hacking, hacking. And I break a suture in my throat. Yeah. So he had told me that like, there can be complications if you're older and you get your tonsils out. And 19 is considered older in the tonsillectomy world. Take that, Los Angeles. And so, and so, uh, so basically he doesn't go into details. And what happens is I break a suture in my throat and I start coughing up pints of blood. And I'm actually, for one like occasion, I am not exaggerating. My mom had these pint cups. She's really into coffee and she, whatever. I, I coughed into these pints. So I'm like coughing up pints of blood. It's disgusting. My mom rushes me to the hospital where we meet the doctor. He confesses I was his first tonsillectomy. Not what you want to hear when you are coughing up pints of blood. And he says to me, the doctor says, I don't know what to do. And he starts shooting Novocaine down my throat and then taking what let's call a suture closing stick and gagging me with it. I mean, like, did I get it? Did I get it? I mean, it was like, just consider yourself really lucky. Even if you're in rehab and you're like, I, no one is less lucky than me, consider yourself lucky that you have not had Novocaine shot down your throat and being gagged by a stick at the same time. Anyway, eventually he f finds the thing. Um, I, um, I end up, you know, unable to eat, smoke, only weeks, we can all agree on that even though like only two people here admitted to smoking, I'm just gonna tell you, the first three weeks are the hardest. So, so I go back to college for my senior year and I'm like, I am gonna quit smoking, this is so awesome. And, and so I was like that person where people would be like, oh, can I bum a cigarette? And I'd be like, I quit. <laughs> so that lasted, I think it was like, I don't know, 12 hours, 13 hours, something like that. And I'm back to smoking, just like someone who hadn't been hacking up blood three weeks before. And, um, and so then time passes. I just keep smoking like a crazy person. And, and, you know, smoking saw me through the lowest points of my addiction because, you know, cigarettes and cocaine go well together. It's a good cocktail. So, so, and then they saw me through rehab because, you know, it's sort of like smoking after a meeting was kind of like, Smoking after going to do coke in the bathroom. It kind of was like the same, the same thing. So, so, so anyway, so I keep smoking. And then when I'm nine months sober, I go to dinner with this woman who's in recovery. And I do what I normally do during dinner, which is I leave four to five times to go smoke outside by myself, you know, during the dinner. I miss the dinner. And I come back and she looks at me all earnestly and she's like, honey, why are you putting a smoke screen between you and God? First of all, she didn't have a Southern accent. I just kind of liked doing that. But anyway, and so kind of something happened inside of me when she said that. Hey, who's talking? Okay, sorry. Um, but something else happened when she then said, you should come meet me at the Nicotine Anonymous meeting tomorrow night because Cole goes there. Now, I told her Cole was this guy I was obsessed with. And so I was like, Cole goes to the Nicotine Anonymous meeting. I'll meet you there. So the next day, I, you know, I just like smoke and smoke the way I do. And then, but then at like one o'clock, I'm like, well, if I'm going to meet Cole at the meeting, um, I shouldn't reek of cigarettes. So let me just stop smoking. So I go to the meeting that night. I sit in between this woman and Cole and I have no intention of quitting smoking. And he turns to me after the meeting and is like, do you want to go to coffee and just like talk about our cravings, you know, for cigarettes? And I was like, oh my God, he really thinks I'm doing this. Like, he has no idea I'm only here because of him. So I'm like, yes. Oh yes, I need to talk about my cravings. So, so we go to coffee. At coffee, right away, he tells me that he has been for years in love with his cousin. 
This is not as shocking after hearing about Allie hitting on her brother, but just to be clear, it was not a cousin by Mary, like his cousin, cousin, and like my crush. You know how a crush can just like, they're like, what happened to that? So that happened, and then, but then coffee was over, and it was like 8.30, and I had, hadn't smoked since 1 o'clock, and that was the longest I had ever gone without smoking it, without being asleep in, in decades. And so, so I was like, let's just see what happens if I don't smoke like the next morning, I was like, what will happen if I just don't smoke? And then I, later that day, I was like, what will happen if I just don't smoke? Anyway, what happened is I never smoked again. That was July 19th of 2000. <laughs> but just because I did it doesn't mean it wasn't the most horrible experience of my life. I literally was so insane that I remember walking into Rite Aid and I was like, I'm going to buy toothpaste. And I walked out and I was holding like a Danish in a package. Like I was so insane. I would start going to that nicotine anonymous meeting. And I remember this one, the one time I didn't get called on to share, I went up to the speaker and I was like, here's what you need to know. Newcomers need to share. And I remember she was like, keep coming back, honey. And I cried. Like that was me, nicotine withdrawal. And so so anyway, so, so the thing is, I have now, I became rather quickly the most self-righteous ex-smoker ever. So I'm that girl still, you know, it's been like 18 years. And I still like, if you're smoking, like, uh, like uh, I, I basically like, <laughs> like that shaming weird thing. Um, and then like, uh, this, this is a fun one. When you're in AA outside a meeting, you'll see people who are smoking and then they do that reach. They're like, hey, Anna. And they and they're gonna put the arm, the cigarette arm around you. And I have a standard, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't hug smokers. That's what I do. I do that to people. Yeah, so, so I have no idea how, how or why I became, I transitioned from girl who dreamed of being a smoker to the most self-righteous ex-smoker in the world. But I do know this, the 16 year old me would be so fucking horrified. <laughs> Thank you. Request a raise.